Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Yes, it is healing the whole person. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being such uh, wonderful supporters of WSFI Catholic Radio. I am your stand-in host today. It's Angela Tomlinson, and we have a very special presenter today. Uh, for those of you who are regular followers of this show, we have our very own WSFI, Kyle Clement. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hello, and Hello, are you still there? I am here. Loud and clear. And we have a studio audience of, let's see, we have a studio audience of two people. We have Dori Sarsak here with the microphone. She's armed and dangerous. And uh, we have in transit Ian Oakley. So we'll have a little group. And for those of you who are used to hearing Joan McHugh, um, Joan's husband passed, Kyle. He passed at noon today after a long, long illness. Oh, thanks be to God. Yes. Yes, it was beautiful. They had just uh, finished praying the chaplet for him, Kyle, and um, and then he passed at noon with all his family. I mean, her children live all over the country, and they were all able to come home. And it was kind of a model thing, Kyle, because they um, they all were praying the rosary, praying the chaplet, and they were all got a chance to say goodbye to him. Thanks be to God. Yes, and your show today is on that subject, is it not? It is on that subject. Yeah, so what, what do you have to share with us? Would you like to lead us in a prayer, first of all? Certainly. Lord God Almighty, Ancient of Days, you who order our lives and bring cosmos out of chaos, there are two beings preparing to return to you, Lord. There's Tom McHugh and his guardian angel. Please recognize them and extend them all courtesies. Their pathway be a safe and holy one. And may Tom return to you, join the church triumphant, where we can join with him in prayer. We give thanks and praise to you, Lord, for this opportunity to have known Tom, for him to have been part of our lives. We thank you. For you are a kind and compassionate God, and your mercy endures forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. So, Kyle, the subject of what we call death, what, what is, uh, what's involved with that whole thing? I think that no matter how long we live and how devoted we are as Catholics, there's always something in this whole, that whole word that, that puzzles us. It is a, it's a very interesting discussion, I think, to bring to, to light some of the ancient church teaching. We see just how timeless it is and how oftentimes science is behind <laughs> Scripture and, and behind the theology that the church is the repository and the custodian of. And so we are often discussing, when we discuss the four last things, the first of them being death, 
oftentimes lose our Catholic bearings and our Catholic definition, and we go to a secular definition. There are two tests for death. One is the uh, respiratory test, and the other is the brain test. Both of these are scientific. Neither of them are theological. The Catholic Church defines and has always defined death as the separation of body and soul. Say that again. The definition of death in the Catholic sense is the separation of body and soul. And so many of the patristics uh, writings, many of the writings of the early church fathers talked about death as a process in the same way that a birth is a process. Um, and so summarize many much of the church teaching is basically it is anywhere from a three to five day process where the whereby the soul separates from the body and then goes to heaven or goes into the other into the other realm to particular judgment <clears throat> and so when it says immediately upon the time of death this is this is not chronological it's sequential meaning Let's talk about our good friend Tom. Tom's body ceased to operate today at noon. So it's no longer a fit place for his soul because the soul is not corruptible, but the body is. And so his body will begin to decompose fairly quickly. This was one of the tests for death in the old days was when breath had left, does the body decompose? Does the body go back and, and succumb to corruption? So the soul will separate. And there is a very poignant thing that will happen. Um, there will be a wake. There will be a rosary. There will be the family remembering and giving thanks for Tom and for his life, and it will be a celebration. Last week, I was at the funeral of a 97-year-old man who came to this country, a Portuguese immigrant, very devout. This man had he would, he died at 97, and I would I would be willing to wager that there was not a day in his life of 97 years that he didn't either say or hear the rosary. What a testament! These wonderful souls, they're sung you know, as these souls come to earth. They're sung into <laughs> into presence here, and then we should let them depart with that same song of victory, that same chaplet of mercy. And they return to God for him to do with, for him to judge in particular judgment and then set them on their path of purification. But it was a true celebration that I went to in California that was celebrating this man's life. I'm sure that that's what the McHugh family will do is to celebrate this life, to celebrate this patriarch, this father, this grandfather, to celebrate this vessel through which God has blessed so many people to celebrate this person and what they have meant to those who come and pay their respects at the wake, pray the rosary on behalf of his soul to recommend and commend him to God. And then the process will start toward the funeral mass. And the mourning and separation of us from he should have a liturgical con content to it. There should be the formulate prayers. There should be the daily mass. There should be that, that offering of our indulgence 
the anima Christi, all of these for Tom's soul and for the purification of his soul. And then at the funeral mass, we will truly commend his soul to the Lord. One of the most powerful things that we see in the Requiem Mass is the incensing of the coffin at the end of the funeral mass, whereby the soul ascends to heaven on the incense of, and the prayers, our prayers as community, our desire to be reconciled with God as this soul is about to be. And I think that's the real point of death, is death is such a wonderful gift and a blessing. So, Kyle, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just when you were talking about that with the soul and the incensing of the coffin, I guess a, a logical question to ask you is, you know, so many families don't have funeral masses or incense the coffin. Yes, the Christian burial is is a huge um, thing that has um, the secular society in our rush to get on with our lives. We rush past these three grace-filled days between death and the Requiem. We rush through them. It is in these three days that we should call to mind the four final things quite often and quite poignantly. Consider our life. How will we answer for our deeds? If this were I, how would I answer for my life? What must I amend? This show is about healing. The ultimate definition of healing in the Catholic Church, in the Catholic faith, is reconciliation with God the Father. The sacrament is often miscalled reconciliation. The sacrament is actually penance, and the effect is reconciliation. The ultimate definition of healing is reconciliation. Tom can sin no more. Tom can sin no more. Thanks be to God, Tom can sin no more and now set about perfecting and purifying himself to be in the presence of God. This is such a blessing that we don't see. We fear death, we avoid death. Jesus himself leads us through the dark valley of death and shows us how to approach it, how to navigate it, and how to emerge from it. Our prayers for Tom cannot be counteracted at this point. He's beyond the grasp of the adversary. He's beyond the taint of the world. He's beyond the cacophony of noise that distracts us from the beauty and silence of God. Wow, what a relief that is. What a relief that is to, you know, finally know that or we don't we never do know, do we, if someone's home safe? No, we never do. And I think that that's where we get to perfect our trust and understand that purgatory and the purgative way is necessary. It is so necessary for us all. And to set about that without opposition, I think that that's one of the big differences between the church militant and the church purgative. In the church militant, we're in the world, but not of the world. In the church purgative, they're out of the world, trying to rid themselves of the last taint of the world. And so it's a it's a wonderful idea and thought to think of his transition now into this purgative way. And whatever may be painful has such a beautiful end in sight. Um, and so it's not a it's not a suffering as much as it is a purification, one to be embraced. 
Kyle, what's the teaching, you know, when, when I be, think when a, a sick person is anointed, what, what's the impact of that on their soul? Well, the impact of that soul, again, is reconciliation with regard to sin. That's the effect. There is a wonderful thing that is coming back, um, and that is the use of, in the old rite, extreme unction and the apostolic pardon, the inclusion of the apostolic pardon. And what's that? Now, neither of I'm sorry? You know, I was going to say, will you walk us through each one of those? Because I've heard a lot about the apostolic pardon. They say, well, he didn't get there in time, but he got the apostolic pardon, so he went right to heaven, is what I've heard. Well, the, the idea that they go right to heaven is not necessarily so. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's not that easy, huh? Correct. Remember now, your, your teaching is that there are still the, um, the effects of sin, the temporal effects of sin. We can be absolved of our sin, we can go through our penance, and we can receive reconciliation. That's the effect. We're reconciled with God the Father, yet the temporal effects of sin are still there and must be addressed in God's justice. And in fact, when you look at it, <clears throat> we would want that opportunity. How often have you offended someone or even unknowingly hurt someone and you longed for the opportunity to make it right? Right. God, God in his mercy allows us to do reparation and to be purified. But the idea that it plays into our Western culture and our Western fear of suffering, the idea that we can somehow bypass this and go straight uh, to heaven, if you will. But with regard to Catholic teaching, what the apostolic pardon does and what the anointing does and what extreme unction does is in our dying moments, it allows us to address God and say, I'm no longer going to be able to suffer in this body and pay the price for my sins with a body by doing mortification or fasting or whatever it may be to demonstrate physically our desire to be unified with God. That's about to be taken from us by sickness and or death. And so this allows us to make known our desire to be with God. Um, and to be reconciled to him. So again, the effect of these is reconciliation. It is so beautiful. And Kyle, we're going to have to take a break in about a minute. But um, I just wanted to mention to our listeners that are tuning in, you're listening to Heal the Whole Person. And our guest today is Kyle Clement, and the show is on death. But it's a, this is a beautiful show, Kyle, because it actually, I was really feeling that sadness, you know, that natural sadness at losing a soul and um, or losing, you know, Tommy and what the family must be going through. But the way you're presenting it, it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, it's the whole reason, I guess, why we're here. Thanks be to God. And we'll take a break right now. We're just, you're listening to Healing the Whole Person. Kyle will be back in just a minute or so. I'm Juliana Taimarazi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council in Chicago. Our culture needs Catholic radio as a tool for evangelization and catechesis. 
As a powerful platform, Catholic Radio brings Christ to us all and brings us closer to Christ. Get the real Catholic news from Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Hi, this is Wes Riccio from the Holy Family Catholic Bookstore, wishing the fullness of God's blessings upon all those who will soon be receiving a sacrament for the first time. If you have a child, grandchild, or godchild being baptized, receiving their first Holy Communion, or being confirmed, remember that Holy Family has the area's largest selection of gifts, accessories, and supplies to make their special day more memorable. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information, including a virtual tour, is available on Facebook. Are you retired or near retirement? Do you want to keep a larger amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT, 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. You're listening to Healing the Whole Person. If you're just tuning in, this is the time that we used to start, Kyle. We used to start at 3.30 every day, and people felt said, wow, we could use a whole hour of this show. So uh, we're in 2018. The calendar's turned, and so have we. And uh, we're so happy that our guest today is, uh, we call him WSFI's own. Kyle, we're claiming you for ourselves, but Kyle Clement. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Kyle Clement, he is a uh, facilitator for the Pope Leo Thirteenth Institute. He works as an instructor, and a facilitator, and as a consultant. And also he is a regular contributor of WSFI Catholic Radio. For those of you who attend our healing annual conference uh, every year, Kyle is presented for the past two years on a variety of topics on healing and deliverance. He also offers retreats and parish missions. And Kyle... I cannot pronounce this. I'm, I practice. I didn't do a good job. You are also an investigator and case administrator and a lay coordinator for what's the name? The Societas, the Societas Matris Dolorisissime. And what, just briefly before we get back to our show, what does that organization represent? What do they do? It is a Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. It is an order of contemplative exorcist priest. I am a tertiary. How beautiful. And are they nationwide or worldwide, or what's the scope of their apostolate? They are a new new and fledgling order founded by Father Chad Ripperger. I see. And much needed, I would imagine. Much needed, much needed. We uh, we have inquiries of between 40 and 60 inquiries per week with regard to investigation and consultation into cases of extraordinary machination of the devil. And 
let me ask you something about that, Kyle. Is is that a growing trend, a shrinking trend, or what, what's what's going? What do you think is bringing this on in our culture and in our society today? As as piety and virtue and the influence of the church wane, the influence, the impropriety, the lack of virtue, and degradation of humanity as a result of our fallen nature increases, largely spurred by the adversary who, at this point, militates largely unopposed. Um. So we, we need you. We need you. I think, Kyle, we ought to, all our listeners should be praying for this apostolate. Do you call it an apostolate? It is a society. They may go to auxiliumchristianorum.org and pray the daily prayers that we request for in support of the society and all of those who battle the devil um, in these modern times. I think to realize the second part or the, the, the closing line of the Hail Mary is so very poignant. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And so it's this understanding that the hour of our death, we are most susceptible to the adversary. He will come when we are the most vulnerable. But he is also there so that we can fortify our trust in God and at the darkest possible moment turn to our Lord and he answers. And, and it's interesting that you, you segue to that because we did have a text from one of our listeners, uh, Jasper, and that was his question. He wanted to know what our duty and our obligation is to intercede in prayer for those who are near death that they don't fall into despair. So his concern was dying people or very sick people falling into despair. And I think it's a very real concern. It's a very poignant question. And I, I think that you look at St. Joseph is the patron uh, of a happy death. And he dies uh, in Mary and Jesus' arms. What better way to die? But for us to make clear to our relatives by praying the chaplet, by doing holy devotions, by surrounding them with thanksgiving, and no mourning, no weeping that is anything other than thanksgiving because the adversary depends upon our negativity and our lack of trust to give him place. And so what we have to do is absolutely banish him by giving thanks to God in all things, and especially at the end of one's life, to encourage them. I think your, your best way to encourage somebody is we have two very poignant examples in scripture. One is the mother in Maccabees um, who is exhorting her sons to noble death. They are dying an unjust martyr's death. Never once does she say this is unjust. Never once does she say it shouldn't happen to you. Never once. She is exhorting them. Look at the Blessed Mother and St. John at the foot of the cross. Not once do they say to Jesus, not you, Lord. Not once do they say this is unjust. They are encouraging in him and strengthening him by their prayers and their presence and their love of God. That if God wills it, thanks be to God, blessed be God, God wills it. And so I think that, that to bring that very strong focus, um, oftentimes when we are find ourselves bereft at the death of someone, it's truly a prideful response on our part because we're thinking, how will this affect me? 
And so I think that when you look at it under that harsh light of truth, you realize that our job is to strengthen this person to to be there for them and to constantly help them give thanks to God. Kyle, just a quick thing. I just got a text from someone as you were talking that when um, I asked you the question about what our duty and obligation was to intercede in prayer for those who are near death, that that they don't fall into despair. From what I can see from the text, your answer uh, went dead on the air for some reason. I could hear you perfectly. But for some reason, oh. your answer didn't come across. Do you think you would you mind doing a, an encore performance of that answer? Well, I'd be happy to try. Okay. We'll get to hear it. Maybe you'll give us a variation, so we'll get to hear it twice here in the studio. I apologize. Interesting that duty and obligation, these are two very different things. So if you go to the legal aspect of it, we have no duty or obligation imposed other than that of Christian virtue to pray for a brother, pray for a sister, pray for a soul, pray especially for our enemies. The, the thing is, is we're asking the Lord to have mercy on this person, and we're having mercy on them. We're forgiving any trespasses. We're forgiving anything that might stand between us and heaven. We're contemplating our own death as we contemplate their death. And it's to strengthen this individual the way that Mary and John strengthened our Lord at the foot of the cross. You have three very poignant responses to death at the foot of the cross, and I think these are key, is you have Mary, the Blessed Mother, who is giving freely her son, her flesh. She's giving to God the Father, saying, if you will it, thanks be to God, blessed be God in all things. John, who looks upon his friend, his this person that he loves so deeply saying the same if this is god's will blessed be god neither one of them are crying about injustice or saying not you lord they are giving thanks to god in their sorrow they are joyful in their in what they are watching if we have to uh, redefine joy in this case because they are in the center of God's holy will, participating in the sacrifice without any sense of self, without any argument, without any desire for Jesus to be free of this, but to go through it and to go through it well. The third person at the foot of the cross is Mary Magdalene, who's struggling mightily. I think that oftentimes when we cry as the Magdalene did, when we struggle as the Magdalene did, it's because we, like her, are wondering, how will this death affect me? What will I do now? And so she, her pain is much greater because it's more about her. And so perfect our mourning, perfect our desire for God by commending this soul to God, not by holding on to it or not by thinking of any injustice or unfairness or physical pain. Kyle, you had just given a um, talk, and actually we're still editing those tapes, just to, just about done, but on soul ties. And someone, I don't know if you remember, but someone asked a question about their family. And the, the you know, I guess they would be called negative soul ties with them and releasing them from any injustice. 
Is, is there a certain amount of forgiveness? Does that help that soul? In, in say this, for example, if that soul was in purgatory, does our forgiveness of things that they might have done against us, does that does that affect their, their standing in any way? No, but it has everything to do with ours. I see. And so we often hear, though, of people who linger so that a loved one can, can come to their bedside so that there can be that last moment of contact. <laughs> In the man that I mentioned earlier in the program, uh, he had a he had a niece that he was very very fond of, and um, he arguably waited for her to to come across country, delayed flights, and they spent ten to fifteen minutes together, and he passed within the hour. And so they wanted. Oftentimes, you'll hear those stories. One of the things that I think we can do for souls and should do is to engage with that soul in the act of death. Don't wait for them to die before you go to their go to them. Come, spend days, suspend your life, suspend your work, suspend whatever it is, and make this the center of your existence once the person approaches death. I think Tom's family did wonderfully with this. They surrounded him, they prayed, they celebrated him. This soul knew that there was nothing that held him here. No one was holding him here. He was free to go. And I think that's one the real obligation that we have with regard to prayer. And that strengthens them in the face of the adversary. The adversary doesn't want to be around anyone who's giving praise and glory to God. And if that's the atmosphere in which the person is dying, then that's the safest environment we can create. Do you, how do you think the timing or when, when the Lord chooses to take us? Someone had told me once that Jesus will take us at our optimal, our optimal point of holiness. That, for example, that he would never take us at a point in time that, like, say, for example, that would be to our spiritual detriment. Do you have any comments on that and when the Lord chooses to let us come home? When the Lord chooses to call us home? Versus, I, think it, I think that... that it's highly speculative it's highly speculative theology but i think that we need to be aware very clearly of the effects of sin upon our bodies uh our life choices our free will choices may cut short or lengthen our days depending upon how we go about life naturally um the lord while that is a very um, soothing thought, at the same time, we see that the Lord does not impede upon our free will. And we see it over and over and over again. The Lord does not infringe upon our free will. And so what we see is a biological thing that happens and and through disease, through ill health, through trauma, whatever it may be, our, our death begins as a human separation, as the separation of body and soul. And so while God knows that moment and numbers our days and we have a predetermined lifespan, so to speak, we may well cut that short by our own activity. Does that help? It sure does. Yeah. So you're saying that he, it may not have been his perfect will that we would engage in some activities that would hasten our death and affect the the way we die. He won't he won't get himself in the way of it. But 
Do you think he ever stops calling us? Do you think up to our last breath? Do you ever think he stops trying to you he, know, reach? Trying no, to reach us? He, he, not at all. He is our creator. We are his creature. He is in us. And he calls to us. He beckons to us constantly. And to the extent we respond to that, or to the extent that we imbibe of the profundus, the Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, nowhere in the in all of creation can we go that he can't hear us. This is this is Jonah in the belly of the whale. Nowhere can you go that God is not there in you. And so this creature creator relationship absent sin, absent offense, that's the reconciliation I'm speaking of. This is when creature stands before creator, gives a full account, and the creator says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward, enter into this communion, enter into that which you desire. At the end of the day, God gives us exactly what we ask for. He gives us exactly what we want, either closeness to him or distance from him. But he's reading our heart. He's not reading our empty words or our empty promises. He's reading what is truly the desire of our heart. That is so beautiful, Kyle. So that that explains, too, why maybe, you know, I've heard people say that, um, you know, early death, terminating people's death. Uh, before that person's ready and maybe the Lord's calling them they can respond but then at some point maybe they don't have the capacity to answer that call do you know what I mean either through drugs or whatever they do to take that person's life well euthanasia is a very poignant discussion I would propose that we're further down that path than we would like to admit suffering has value and oftentimes, until one reaches the abject suffering of, of near death or terminal illness, one doesn't turn to God. We see it over and over again. There were, in centuries past, a long and lingering illness was seen as quite a blessing because it allowed one to be purified of all the things of the world and to desire only God. We're not that we're not wired that way. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to suffer. We don't want in any way to go through discomfort. But it is in that discomfort that we join our physicality to the passion. Everything must be joined to the passion. This is the anointing of the sick. This is the extreme unction. All of this, all of those prayers encourages the person to join to Christ, join to the passion, whatever it is they're experiencing in this separation of soul and body. That's exactly what you could see at Tommy. You know, I said, to, I was emailing Joan saying, Joan, Tommy is on the cross. And you could feel it. You could just feel him there on the cross. But you know, it's funny, like you were saying, he had such a peaceful, it was like an acceptance of it. The, the graces that flow through a happy death are amazing. They are absolutely, if you've ever been in the presence of one, it's absolutely amazing. And people oftentimes take this the wrong way, but I would encourage, if you're in the company of a loved one, pray the stations of the cross often. Pray the stations, pray the Via Dolorosa, pray those uh, devotions to the five sacred wounds. Make present Christ's passion 
in the mind of the of the person who's going through death because that's very much what's happening right in front of you and we know that saint joseph and uh all the angels and saints are right there praying with, with that person so kyle you know we've been talking a lot about death if you're just tuning in it's healing the whole person this might seem strange because we're a healing show and here we are talking about when the when the soul separates from the body so it's actually the ultimate healing isn't it death is actually the ultimate healing kyle absolutely right angela death is the ultimate healing because at at the moment of death we can sin no more and we can be about puring our, purifying ourselves totally without opposition for the presence of god for the banquet of the lamb if you had to summarize, Kyle, I'm sure everyone in our, fam- in our listening audience either is suffering or has a loved one that's suffering right now. Could I put you in the spot a little bit? So walk us through what's something that they should be doing now and then what are the steps they should be doing to prepare for death and what are the steps they should do immediately after death? First of all, is to understand nobody gets out alive. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> And so the question is, how will you die? How will you die? Will you die a warrior's death? God has chosen this arena. God has chosen this place for you to prove yourself. God has chosen this place for you to do all that you can do to purify your sacrifice. And to embrace this, to absolutely embrace it and let everything fall away. It's amazing when you accompany someone through death, you realize that who gets the rocking chair and who gets the 14-piece china set has absolutely no value to someone on the cross. Let yourself reorder your life to what has eternal value, eternal consequence, not temporal value. And you will find that there is nothing, there is no thing that is worth losing your peace over. You truly see this sorting of what has eternal value and what is simply a temporal distraction. And as this is stripped away from the soul, this is the garments being stripped from Christ. And as he's truly naked and nailed to the tree and the passion is in its ending, at this point the person will not be made whole. In the scourging, Christ has already started death. He has already started to die and they nail him to the cross and now he's really in it. Now he can perfect his sacrifice and so we must urge them on. We must urge them to embrace it, to offer it, to join it to Christ. When St. Paul says, I am making up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ, he's talking very simply that what's lacking in the suffering of Christ is my joining my suffering to it. It's not that Jesus' sacrifice is in any way lacking, it's that my total participation in it is what's lacking. In the Divine Office this morning, it talked about the cross being folly to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. The understanding that 
our joining our life and our death. We cannot join our life to Christ if we don't also join our death, because the death is inseparable from the life. It is the natural conclusion. It is what will happen to all men. And so to come back to those fundamentals, just to those very basic fundamentals of Catholicism, Suffering has merit. It has merit to the extent you join your suffering to the Christ. Healing is reconciliation. That's beautiful. Now, so now we bring that person or our loved one, we explain or they understand or we understand that it's suffering is a part of life and it's our it's actually going to be our salvation right if we if we embrace it what you're saying is you're going to suffer either way so you have a choice you can make it meritorious or you can waste it in a way you could you could fight it you could curse god you're still going to suffer just as much aren't you and that's earth. correct it's just going to suffer mm-hmm. so the question is whether you're going to make it count or not so now walk us through what are the steps that would want to take to have uh, the, a holy death is it last rites? Is it the apostolic blessing? Are there certain sacramentals such as the scapula that we'd want to make sure that that person is wearing? These are things that are happening at the end. They're very superficial. But you, ha- you have to lead the person to a deep, deep reflection. Do I have any enemies? Is there any transgressions which I have not forgiven? Is there any unforgiveness? Is there any lack of charity? What can I address in my closing moments, closing days, closing months? What can I address? And so to actually forgive, and to forgiving is not a one-time thing, but it's to prepare yourself to meet Christ in particular judgment. Because ultimately that's what you're doing, is preparing yourself to meet Christ. And I think that when we do that, it's not going to be what we're wearing. It's going to be what's in our heart as Christ peers into our heart and says, give an account of your deeds. Give an account of your life. I would a lot rather argue or ask for mercy than argue that, well, I did this to this person because they did this to me. We can't engage in situational ethics or integrity. Virtue is virtue. Charity is charity. We must try to perfect our love among our brethren, among our family, among our enemies. And so to encourage this person who's near death, and what you'll find that is you're talking to yourself. You're needing to do these very things. And so this is why death is such a font of grace. A happy death is such a font of grace. It shows us how we must be disposed to meet our Lord. And now let's say that our loved one does pass. Then what are the steps that we should take as a Catholic to help that soul? In the short time right before, you would want to try to ensure that they receive uh, extreme unction, anointing of the sick, or viaticum, however you choose to term it, and that the priest prays those prayers and spends some time with them, that they go to confession if at all possible, and then to prepare them as well. Is there anything that they would desire um, to be done a song to be sung, anything to be done specifically at the wake and then at the requiem. 
and then be sure that if it's liturgically correct, those things are met. And is it preferable to have, I mean, I, I know that um, talking to some bereavement ministers, there's quite a few people that they don't believe in the funeral mass um, or cremation or something. Do you want to comment a little bit then about that, that next step? Okay, I think that the more that you ask the person and ask them, if you're not sure, Let's talk to the priest because I want you to have peace of mind as you approach this. Cremation is allowed in our Catholic faith. However, the remains must be treated. They must be interred either in a columbarium or in the ground, but they must be treated as other remains. They may not sit on the mantle indefinitely. They may not be scattered. They may not be any of these pagan practices. So while cremation is allowed, all of the um, extemporaneous customs that have rose, risen around that in a pagan culture are not allowed. So know clearly what is allowed and what is not allowed, what is the, um, the liturgical requirements. Go through this to the extent you can with your loved one because it makes it very real to them what's about to happen. And so there's, uh, I think that that helps as much as anything to prepare them for, for the death to the extent that they can. And Kyle, we only have a few minutes left in the show. Are you familiar with the Gregorian masses that some people have offered for the for their beloved ones? Yes. Can you just talk a little yes. bit about that? I think we have two minutes, and then we'll have to do a closing prayer. It is a pious practice that has fallen out of popular um, practice. I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful practice. It used to be a lot uh, more attainable when every priest had the obligation to pray a daily private mass or pray at least one mass. And so now, with con celebration and other things, there are less masses being said generally. Um, this is why so many of the older churches had side altars. There were masses going up constantly in commemoration of the dead. I think that to have those masses, uh, the Gregorian masses, which is for um, a 40-day period following the death, I think that is good. I think to pray a novena for the repose of the soul, the family, together in one place for nine days following, um, really punctuates uh, the importance of death and commemoration of this soul. Um, it's amazing the fruit that that bears in our own spiritual life. But to do a nine-day, to do a novena for the commemoration of the soul in the Gregorian Mass, I would highly recommend those um, those practices. I also generally will offer my, and the and there's an indulgence associated with the Anima Christi if said immediately following communion. And so I will usually offer this for uh, anywhere from six months to a year for a person following their death. Look up indulgences. Get in touch with indulgences. This opens up a whole new part of our faith for the person with a recently deceased. Kyle, that is beautiful. We have about 30 seconds left in the hour. I want to thank you for a magnificent, magnificent show. I learned so much and so, so thankful for your participation here in the radio station. Would you like to do, you have a, <laughs> you have a 20 second closing prayer, Kyle. Lord, Lord, for the impending death that we may be joined to you. 
Lord, let us not mourn or grieve, but give thanks always for your mercy endureth forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Healing the whole person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. For more information about this program or to purchase additional CD copies, please call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 8.5 FM Catholic Radio.